The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Happy Monday, everyone. We're almost at the end of October. OMG, where has the year gone? But let's get started on our very, very interesting topic. I'm going to tell you the buzz is the word measurements. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. So let's get started. If you're an HR professional, HCM, talent professional, whatever you call yourself, metrics like cost per hire, training cost per employee, we know that could be big, turnover rate, the lag time between posting a position and filling it, that's all going to show the executive team in your company that you are doing a good job. You're active, you're busy, you're showing up, but it may not tell them much more than that. Why not, you ask? Well, We call these things vanity metrics sometimes. It's what are you doing and how busy are you? But it's not actionable metrics. It's not the same as applying what we call workforce analytics tools to give the leaders in your C-suite that data-driven, actionable insight that they need to solve real business problems. That's what keeps them in business. And you're not doing it if all you're focusing on is vanity metrics. The current wisdom says stop looking at purely activity numbers and focus on the critical question, why are we doing it? How is it making an impact? And what that boils down to is, what is the value of what we're doing? We have a panel of two experts. They're so good, we only have two of them today, and I'm delighted to welcome them. First coming up is a repeat guest on HR Trends. Many times, she's a good friend of ours. It's Greta Roberts. She's the CEO and co-founder of Talent Analytics, based in Cambridge, Mass. And Greta sent me the following quote, Pretty HR dashboards and visualizations rarely provide strategic, actionable business insights. And Greta, that's exactly what we're all about today. How are you, Greta Roberts? I'm very well, and I'm super happy to be here again. Thanks, Bonnie. Super happy to have you. A long time. It's been a while. So tell me about these... Greta, pretty dashboards. I'm seeing dashboards with little pink bows and flowers, and I'm seeing, oh, isn't this wonderful? Look at how many of this and how many of that. Tell me what you mean by pretty HR dashboards and visualizations and why we're not getting the insights we need from them, please. Yep, great. And, you know, dashboards are a step in the right direction. Um, And, you know, many people today, when you talk about metrics, don't even know as a beginning let's say, how many employees they have. And so being able to visualize that on a dashboard is a great step ahead or being able to visualize other really important things. But you mentioned it in your you know, introduction, um, just being able to visualize it doesn't take it to the next step in terms of what do you do with this or what's the information telling you. 
And the other thing is, you know, do you just want to show human resources information inside of your pretty dashboard or, you know, is there really something beyond that that human resources should be showing like things like, you know, the people that we hire, which is really the raw materials for the firm, are they Mm -hmm. actually working out in the organization that we hired them into? So love the pretty dashboards as a way to begin. It's a good next step, maybe beyond where people are. But um, like you said, is it just the vanity metrics? And we go, great, now we can visualize it, but so what? What do we do about it? So the so what is the big question. Thank you very much, Greta. Yep. Good intro. And let's turn to your partner here today. We have on the panel with us for the first time, Mick Collins. He's a principal consultant in workforce analytics and planning at Success Factors. And Mick sent me a very interesting quote from, everybody hold your seats on, hold your seatbelts on, former and the late U.S. President Richard Nixon in his eulogy of Senator Everett Dirksen in September 1969. That's from the past. And here's the quote. Politician knows not only how to count votes, but how to make his vote count. Very provocative. Mick Collins, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show here. Delighted to have you join us. Where are you calling from, Mick? From Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay, we're all in the States today. We'll talk about the weather later. Mick, interesting quote from Richard Nixon. A little bit surprising to hear him show up on a show about HR trends. So talk to me about what does this quote mean and why you picked it for our topic today, please. Yes, certainly. So when I first came to the United States, because I was born and raised in England, went to university there, but I came to the United States to grad school at Virginia Tech, and I studied political science. I was always fascinated by politicians and leadership and personality. And in fact, I wrote my master's thesis on Richard Nixon, uh, a life study mm. on his personality. And, and this quote really stood out for me. This was a, uh, a quote that was part of a eulogy given uh, by President Nixon in 1969 of uh, Senator Everett Dirksen, who was the Senate minority leader for many years. Uh, and I love the quote. I think it really applies well to what we're talking about here today in terms of, of workforce analytics, because politics and political science is really the study of power. And I think for workforce analytics, we're delivering power into the hands of HR professionals. But it's not just about counting everything that we can possibly count. It's about deciding how do we take action with that data? How do we actually make it count? So I think the, the quote is, uh, is very reflective of what we're trying to do in HR today, which is really get beyond just counting everything that's available and really decide what's going to have the biggest impact on our business organization. Mm-hmm. Mick, thank you. I'm going to ask you a question, then I'll ask Greta, too. We have a, little, a lot of time, since there are just two of you on the panel, for our first segment. question is, back to the old, what came first, the chicken or the egg, or who crossed the road first? I don't know. Who's trying to get to the other side? My, my concept here is, uh, do we need to count all of the metrics first before we can decide which ones will give us the vote counting, as you say, making the vote count, Mick Collins, before we get to the guts of what the value is. So is this a question of sorting out what we want before we even know what we've got, or is it a question of doing more so we can hone down to the fewer metrics that matter? What's your point of view on this, Mick? I'd be very hesitant to embark upon a mass exercise to try to count as much as possible, because whilst it may throw out potential avenues of inquiry, the risk is that we spend our entire existence data mining for those little gold nuggets, and we don't quickly get to the kinds of data and topics that our business leaders care about. So I think it's possible that it is worthwhile in some respects. However, if I was to start with some scratch, I would begin with a top-down approach, which is what questions drive my business? What hypotheses do we have that we need to test? 
what metrics do we know have business relevance and start small with quick wins there versus boiling the ocean trying to find every potential data point and potentially not finding anything of interest at all. Great response. Greta Roberts, agree, disagree. What are your thoughts? Definitely agree. Um, and ag- agree our approach and, and when we work with customers, what we do, and Mickey said this, you know, start with, um, y- you know, sort of the questions that we want to answer. We actually start with line of business. Um, I'll use a metaphor as an example. If you think of a some kind of a car manufacturer or any kind of manufacturer where there's raw materials that go into manufacturing the product. And, you know, let's say it's a car and they're able to acquire steel and paint and, you know, everything else that's going into the manufacturer of the product. And then at the end of the day, they, you know, the product rolls off the assembly line and goes and does what it's supposed to do, which is to be driven. Um, today, if you use that sort of as a metaphor for human resources, they really are the ones that are acquiring the raw product and bringing them in and tracking that inside of their systems, inside of human resources. And so those are all the metrics that today human resources typically have access to. But we see over and over again that, you know, 18,000 of a certain kind of car has been recalled. You know the first thing they do, or one of them, is to go back to maybe procurement that procured all of the raw, you know, the raw materials and say, hey, wait mm-hmm. a second, you know, the doors are falling off the car. We need to talk to you about the raw, you know, the raw asset that you are bringing in. That's what's not happening today with human resource and the line of business. And so we would not start internally within HR to say, hey, what do we want to figure out here? What we would do and what we do with customers is to go when those cars actually roll out of HR and onto the line and say, okay, you know, where is the business having a problem? Typically, it has to do with attrition. Typically, it has to do with a performance problem. And then back solve and say, okay, now how can human resources help with that? That's what really helps to define um, the line of business goals, and to us, then we would agree with Mick and say that's the quick win. Not only mm-hmm. is it an HR win, it's beyond that. It's a business win if you're able to say, you know, hey, we in workforce analytics were able to help solve that line of business, challenge that is a real problem. All of a sudden, that's massive, and that's a really big deal. It sounds like HR earns a seat at the table with the top leadership when they do that. Is that accurate, Greta? I think it's even more important than that. I think HR can run the table because they have the raw materials. They're responsible for, you know, whatever goes out throughout the organization. I mean, a business runs on its raw materials, and so it runs on the people that HR largely Mm -hmm. are responsible for hiring. And so I think there's the opportunity for them to run the table. That's the only thing that the table cares about is productivity. That's very powerful. Mick, you agree with Greta on that? I do, and in fact, I'm not a huge fan of the term seat at the table. I do think that many HR leaders have that seat. It's what they use their position to be able to accomplish. Um, for me, we, we know that many boards of directors and senior teams have very limited time available for people metrics or even people reviews. Often it's the financial review, the operational review, uh, board of directors, committee reviews, and then finally we get to our people intelligence And so as an HR professional, uh, one of the major competencies we look for in workforce analytics is not just the ability to analyze data, crunch numbers, but how do you tell a compelling story in a very short space of time? If you only have 15 minutes in front of the C-suite or the board, 
how do we make it clear to them what's happening to our people, where are the investments going, uh, what risks do we face, and, and what data have we brought to the table. Uh, so I completely agree in terms of I believe HR can uh, run the table, as Greta talked about, but we have to do that and realize that we are facing many limitations in terms of the amount of time that we have to be able to deliver that message, and consequently, who are the right people to go in front of those groups and really present a very compelling data-driven story. Could I have make one comment? Yeah, of yeah, course. Nick, I thought you brought something up really important, um, which said, you know, in those seat-at-the-table conversations, typically there's a lot of time spent in operations and on financial uh, information, and that's precisely, precisely what we advocate is that how can you turn people conversations into operational you know, or financial conversations so that instead of saying, I know you care about financial stuff and operational stuff, but really spend a few minutes on people, they spend time on operational things and on financial uh, discussions because that's what the business cares about. And so instead of keeping, you know, people discussions separate from financial discussions, if we're able to actually show, you know, cost associated with, you know, with the people that are here versus if you would maybe increase your performance by 2%, what the, you know, bottom line result would be. That's where I think our success has been is really talking about something that the table cares about versus trying to get the table to care about something they don't care about. So we try to, you know, tie it um, and advocate, you know, for customers to talk about, you know, what the table cares about. Greta, you gave me a perfect segue into what's Uh in your cup today because, oh, no, it's a good thing. You talked about people conversations. Well, I want to have a people conversation with my two very, very smart panelists today. And the question is, what's in your cup today right now? What are you drinking or what are you wishing you were drinking after the show? And the reason is that HR Trends with Game Changers, as you know, is part of our bigger series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. And everybody at the table has to tell me what they're drinking or what they wish they were drinking. And Greta, a little birdie named Pasha Roberts has been tweeting a lot for the past 20 minutes and saying, wait till you hear what Greta Roberts is drinking today. So talk to me, Greta Roberts. No pressure. That's the problem with having uh, co-workers that know what you're doing. (laughs) So Bonnie, you know, um, I do have a coffee cup and it is my SAP coffee cup, as a matter of fact, that you kindly Mm -hmm. sent me. I can't say this is something that I want to drink or that I am drinking, but in my coffee cup, and this is real, I have three miniature crayfish in some fresh water because I have a fish (laughs) tank in my office, and I didn't get quite enough time to finish the cleaning of um, (laughs) said fish tank, and there's one final step, and that's to add the crayfish. So there's adorable. (laughs) They're about an inch and a half long, and they're in my SAP coffee cup at, at the moment. So hopefully I won't make a mistake and drink them. Well, I'm not going to let you, but if you if you wish what else was in that cup, what would you be drinking other than crayfish soup? Talk to me, Greta. Uh, probably another cup of coffee. I had one this morning. It's a, it's another one with some uh, half and half cream, which is really, uh, that, mm. that's, what, that's what works for me. Mm, and I'm glad you're proud to admit it. Absolutely. Mick Collins, Mick Collins, no pressure. What's in your cup? I hope you're not drinking a different kind of fish because that's just fine kettle of fish we're not looking right, for. Mick, right. Mick, what's in your cup? Yeah, I'm not sure if I can top that one at all, but uh, I will say that uh, despite the title of the radio series, I'm not a coffee drinker. I've only ever had two cups of coffee in my life. Wow. Uh, one when I was uh, when I was seven years old, had my first cup. I uh, really didn't like it. I uh, had one more cup when I was about 16 and late getting home one night. So uh, 
probably a different story for a different day, but uh, <laughs> I'm, a tea, I'm, a, I'm a big, big tea drinker, so I, I tend to drink uh, uh, English breakfast tea, which is somewhat hard to find nowadays. There are so many different varieties of tea. There's the pumpkin, the orange, the mint, the, I know. Uh, you know, um, various pie-flavored teas that... Um, a friend of mine gave me a really good idea. My wife has followed this idea now that every time I go to a conference, my wife will pack uh, tea bags in my suitcase. So no matter where I am in the world, I'll always have access to English breakfast tea, and that's really uh, my, my staple drink. That is a wonderful story. You know, I, I keep a little bag of my favorite tea bags, and I usually drink mint tea. I like peppermint or minty, Mick, and I have been known to keep a little baggie sealed with some uh, stash of stash tea sometimes of mint tea bags just in case so that wherever I am I can I love that idea portable tea good for you and Greta please find the coffee and just stay away from the crayfish yes we, we we have got to thank Pasha and Talent Analytics they're tweeting their tootsies off here just keeping this Twitter party going appreciate it guess what our topic is today it's stop with the vanity metrics already and measure what matters yes it's a dynamic topic and that's why we have two very dynamic and smart thought leaders with us today. I'm speaking with Greta Roberts, CEO and co-founder of Talent Analytics Corp based in Cambridge, Mass, my old stomping grounds, and Mick Collins, Principal Consultant, Workforce Analytics and Planning at Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a brief break. In case you're keeping count, this is Season 3, Episode, I think Episode number 8 of our HR Trends with Game Changers series. And again, our topic today, Stop with the Vanity Met. That's my New York accent coming out that I don't have. Stop with the vanity metrics already. Measure what matters. We have a lot more coming up. We're going to do a 30-minute roundtable nonstop, so we're going to really put Greta Roberts and Mick Collins to work when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're about to embark on a 30-minute roundtable journey here with my special guests today, Greta Roberts of Talent Analytics and Mick Collins at Success Factors. I know they're up to the task, so let's get started. We're talking about vanity metrics. Greta, I want to make sure that everybody knows exactly what we mean. So let me read a couple notes from your talking points before the show. You sent me these, and then we'll get started. You say, vanity metrics are metrics that never leave your department. They are just for your boss. And then you add, business KPIs move the business forward. Vanity metrics move your career forward. Greta Roberts, let's talk. Give us the bottom line and a lot of definitions, please. Yes, great. Um, So, you know, vanity metrics and, you know, we're being a little provocative, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly in, and that's the fun, certainly in every role we're all sort of justifying that we're doing our job and we're, you know, doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're performing. Um, And each of us has tasks that we need to do inside of the role. And so that. You know, so there's one set of metrics that essentially rolls up to your manager, to your boss saying, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me report on that. And it's, it's much more of a, um, you know, tactical, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I sp- I'm supposed to be doing. And I hope that really helps me get, you know, some great action on my performance review and that he or she believes I'm doing a good job. So that really helps to move your career forward because that's typically what you focus on in your performance review or your quarterly review, whatever. You know, Greta, you were supposed to do these things. You did them or Mm -hmm. you didn't do them, and that really helps you with your career. Um, So that helps, you know, vanity metrics helps move your career forward. Um, Again, it's a little bit more around um, tactical information. Business KPIs, so just to make sure, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators, so business key performance indicator might be something like sales are down or customer service scores are down or attrition is way up or something like that, which is a, it's something that a line of business is caring about. Um, and so a business KPI that you're able from being inside of HR, you know, to talk to that person that maybe you're supporting in the business, if you're able to say, ah, am I able to help you move that key performance indicator that the business is actually measured on, that moves the business forward. Because at the end of the day, if I accomplish my tasks, like, um, you know, completing a project or mm-hmm. even things like, you know, time to fill, um, I reduce a day off of that or engagement scores are up or performance reviews get in on time, that sort of thing, you're not going to see typically a, a, you know, um, a direct correlation to a business KPI that says, wow, you know, you got your performance reviews done on time, Greta, and we saw our sales go up. That's going to be mm-hmm. impossible, very <laughs> circuitous to kind of go around and try to prove that, that those have any sort of connection. And so, what we advocate, you know, certainly you need to do the tasks in your role, but we want people to be aware of what's the greater, what is the greater connection that the business is trying, uh, you know, what KPI, what business KPI are you trying to move? Does that help? Thank- yeah, that helps a lot, Greta. And, and but there's a, a point of frustration. I think Mick, I'll get to you in just a second. The the point of frustration is I'm listening, and I can imagine people listening and saying, "But Greta, all I do in my job is those countable activities that do not have a direct link, not even a a light pink dotted line to bottom line business results." So how do I prove my value to the company? What would be your your one sentence of advice to them? And then we'll ask Mick for his point of view. 
Yeah, thanks. And it is, it, it can be difficult, but particularly mm. in HR, um, if you realize that if you're helping with hiring or you're helping with optimizing, you're helping with the raw material that goes and is placed into that business unit. And a lot of HR, sorry, this is more than one sentence, um, they it's have, okay. you know, if I'm an HR business partner, I might have responsibility for, you know, for sales or for manufacturing or for whatever. And so ask the question. The one sentence thing I would say to you is ask the question of the business that you are supporting. What are you trying, what is your worst pain that is happening okay. in this business? And then as an HR business partner, come back and say, what can I do? Or talk to those leaders to say, how can HR support helping you in that line of business challenge? I love that. That's great. Mick Collins, thoughts on Greta's definition, our level setting on what vanity metrics means, in particular to HR and talent professionals, and then advice to someone who is not seeing that direct line to the business. Your thoughts, Mick? Yeah, I'll agree on also different points in terms of vanity metrics. I'm agreeing when when Greta started her her discussion around this, we talked about, or she talked about sales decreasing, for example, or productivity decreasing. So the, the first words are around the business metrics first, and then what are the people implications or the people drivers of those metrics then that we need to explore. I think for me, vanity metrics as well can have different definitions across different stages of analytics maturity. So for a lot of organizations who are just getting started with workforce analytics, the vanity metrics we might consider to be HR-facing. So, for example, Greta mentioned time to fill or headcount or diversity metric. If you're just getting started with analytics, I don't think at that point they're necessarily vanity metrics. They're, they're often foundational metrics that just mm-hmm. help the organization start to have a dialogue around what's happening to their people beyond simply how many people do I have on my team or who got hired yesterday. But I do think that over time, as your organization progresses in terms of maturity, there is a risk that those important foundational metrics do become vanity metrics, and they're tracked because they are easy to track, for example. Um, They're tracked because we understand what the metrics are. And I think over time, then, they do run the risk of becoming less foundational, more uh, more vanity-related metrics, and then we really have to focus our time and energy on answering those big kinds of questions. Um, the question regarding how do we justify activities, how do we measure the impact we're having? <coughs> Excuse me. I think from my perspective uh, and success factors as well, we've always defined a key performance indicator according to three attributes. The first is a clear alignment with strategy. Um, in order to be a key performance indicator, in order to be a major metric, there has to be some alignment with our business strategy, our corporate strategy, so that when we publish the results and we can encourage action, there is a decision maker there to actually take that kind of action. So that's the first attribute. Uh, Mm -hmm. The second is the ability to set a target. So if we're going to measure these different metrics, we want to have a target in mind that we're working towards. And then thirdly, we need to be putting resources against those different metrics. And this is really where your uh, justification of your work comes in, which is if you're held accountable for a, a particular metric or set of metrics, that is the best way to understand how well are we actually contributing towards those metrics because we're able to track them each week or each month or each quarter and see whether I, as the process owner, are actually having measurable impact. So for an HR business partner who is uh, uh, gold on uh, improving pay for performance or driving productivity or helping with sales, we do have the ability then to track those particular KPIs and see, generally speaking, are we having the impact on the organization that we thought we would? 
Thank you, Mick. Great points. Greta, any comments back to Mick? Um, I, I loved your points, Mick. And yeah, the only thing that I would, um, that we've seen some HR organizations sort of believe that it's linear, meaning if they're just getting started with, uh, you know, analytics inside of HR, that they need to go through that process before they can start asking the questions to the business of, hey, business, what's happening over in your organization? So even if HR is just getting started with metrics, realize that every other area, almost every other area in the organization is currently being measured on performance. And so sales at that moment, even if HR is just getting started with HR metrics, sales is struggling with performance issues. Sales is struggling with um, attrition issues, you know, um, personal bankers or bank tellers or, you know, anywhere, finance, risk, whatever, they're all having a lot of issues. Um, that So the question is, you know, how do you at least begin to ask the questions, even if HR isn't ready to go there yet? And I agree with you that, you know, they end up being vanity if you just at that point, you know, at some point say that's all we have, we're not going beyond that. But I think it's possible, even if the workforce analytics team is not up to speed yet, to at least immediately engage with the customer, their customer, whoever they support, and say, what from the business side are you, is devastating you? What numbers are you not making um, that actually run the business there? So that as they're getting their, gathering their metrics together and that sort of thing, they know which direction to go. Thank you, Greta. Mick, thoughts? Um, to that point, then, it is a very different skill set or mindset to begin with. When we talk about big data and workforce analytics, the natural inclination is to say, what kind of data skills do we have within HR, or do we need to bring in some data scientists? But hopefully from the conversation here today, it's quite clear that the first set of skills that need to come into play when we're discussing workforce analytics are business knowledge and business engagement, because it does start with the business question. It does start with a hypothesis. In many cases, managers feel as though they are the best judges of talent because they've been a manager for 15 or 20 years, when in reality, many of their hypotheses about how they drive superior performance may be outdated, they may be incorrect, they may be never Mm -hmm. true at all. So we have to engage with the business, and it's more that consultative mindset, um, which is certainly available in HR, but in many cases, organizations that are doing analytics well bring in outside professionals that don't have an HR background or HR expertise because they tend to be more unbiased or more objective when they sit down with the business and ask those questions about what drives performance, uh, what are your MBOs, what are the biggest risks that you face in the next three years. You can do that without that HR mindset potentially, and that's why we see more individuals coming from IO site backgrounds or uh, one of our customers has uh, a good number of quantitative physicists, which I can't imagine mm. how hard that skill set is to develop. <laughs> but they bring mm-hmm. them in for that impartial view to start that conversation versus coming back to the necessary with an HR perspective first and a business perspective second. Mm. Interesting. What does that do to morale in HR if you bring in physicists or you bring in people with deep uh, deep values and backgrounds in other other disciplines besides HR? Mick or Greta, does that does that say to HR, hey, you're outmoded? And, and Mick, I'm looking at your speaking points here, some of your notes. You said to me a lot of uh, organizations understand the value of using data-driven decision-making in AR, HR. However, they're using outdated tools. They're using basic reports. They're only measuring past performance. So what does that do to morale in HR? Mick first, then Greta? I hope ultimately it doesn't um, disparage or or reduce morale within HR because in many cases this is a new skill set 
that has not mm-hmm. been hired for in the past. Uh, HR professionals are very strategic in many ways. They are uh, you know, very good business people in many ways. But if this is a new skill set, in order to short-circuit the time to maturity, it may be best to bring individuals in from the outside. And it's also a case that it's often a skill versus will discussion, where HR professionals um, may have the skills but not necessarily the interest in analytics because their role has been defined somewhat differently and therefore bringing in someone from the outside might not necessarily be there to, to compete with them but just to add, add a new perspective. But I, I hope it wouldn't necessarily um, discourage an HR professional. I think it's about broadening the team, broadening the skill sets mm-hmm. and ultimately being a better business partner. If it's, if it's new people that are required to do that, then it's a good opportunity to bring them in. Keeps in mind the old phrase, physician, heal thyself. I won't go further with that. Greta Roberts, what do you think about uh, mixed perspective in regard to my question about the morale in HR? Boosting yeah, or, or squishing? No, what do you think? I completely, I completely agree with you. I think HR sometimes gets a, a, a raw deal a little bit around, you know, you should be able to be more analytical and that sort of thing. And I think in some cases that will be the case, uh, Mick, like you said, because there's kind of a will there and there's always been an interest in that. But we spend a lot of time learning from the folks that are doing, you know, customer analytics, consumer analytics, voter analytics, patient analytics, et cetera, et cetera. It's all predicting human behavior, and it's the same thing. And what you'll notice is, you know, in marketing, um, which is a, you know, great example, you know, marketing right now is kind of going nuts with a lot of analytics and predicting when customers are going to buy and, you know, what we have to do in order to, you know, give them a coupon so they do buy, keep them satisfied, et cetera. They didn't just turn marketeers into analytics people. They brought in new people um, or, you know, in voting and really trying to predict, you know, um, who are what they call the persuadables, you know, so that we can really try to spend our time with those folks. They didn't just bring in more politicians. They brought in analytics people. It was a different kind of person who had a different kind of will, as you said, um, Mick. So I completely agree. It's a typically a different kind of person. I, I, you know, it makes me sad when people try to do, you know, try to sort of demoralize HR. I think what they do is extraordinary and needs to continue being done. I, I think, you know, even if you look at sales operations, financial operations, many other operations, they tend to bring in an operations person because it it is both a different skill and a different will and so um, um, so I uh, I think it's actually progress to bring in addition additional kinds of mindsets into the organization that work with this really well. Thank you, Greta. Mick, thoughts? Yeah, if I could, back? If I could just jump in. Uh, you, you know, you reference yeah. marketing marketing departments. So I think across all the functions in the company now. Marketing is almost the golden child. Uh, yep. You mentioned more resources, resources have been brought in. It's uh, the analytics hub of the organization. You know, from an HR perspective, is there an, a function that has more limited resources than HR today mm-hmm. and they get banged over the head with such negative press? I think HR professionals are doing a wonderful job today. This can really just help them do that job even better. Yep. Good points. Uh, Mick, I'm looking at your talking points. I think we've already covered these, but I just want, I think this will crystallize a little bit of what we're discussing here, and then we'll move on to something else. You say the urgency around workforce analytics tends to stem from one or both of two sources. The reactive, meaning the pressure from leaders outside the function to bring data with a level of rigor similar to that provided by other functions. I think we touched on that. Or, and or, proactive, an opportunity for HR to take the initiative and bring analytics to the table. Anything you want to add on either of those points before we go somewhere else, especially on the proactive side, Mick? 
Yeah, certainly. I have the good fortune to speak with hundreds of HR leaders each year about why they have an interest in workforce analytics. And I do think it stems from either uh, enlightened HR leaders seeing the opportunity to take the initiative uh, to run the table, as Greta talked about before, or it's leaders who are finding that they are under pressure to be able to bring data to, to the table in the same way that marketing and sales has. So if you're in the former camp, if you see this really as a competitive advantage for you, if you think it's a game changer for you, it is a great opportunity to be more proactive. And, and one of my customers said that analytics is the number one core competency they have to develop. Not necessarily the most important core competency in HR mm-hmm. because HR has to run both the tactical side of the business and also the strategic elements of people management for the, the competency they have to develop the most. Now, for those that are under pressure, in many cases, they're making very quick decisions about how they need to move forward. Um, but often what we see is that uh, even though they're being pressured to deliver analytics, um, there's still a delay in them getting up to speed and actually building that kind of capability. So um, if you're in an HR department where you're not doing analytics today, um, think about to what extent are we getting pressure from the outside or is this something that we can take the initiative on, define a, a good, strong vision for analytics, what will analytics do, what will they not do, uh, and then go through the processes we've talked about here today to be able to identify what the biggest, most important business questions are that we need to address. Thank you, Mick. Greta, any thoughts on reactive, proactive before I go somewhere else? Yeah, I think that's a lovely way of uh, putting it, Mick. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, what we see on the reactive side, and actually this ties into kind of the pretty dashboards which started at the beginning, what we see on the reactive side is reporting, HR reporting. Um, And maybe there had been, you know, historical reports that are set up and then you sent them once a day or once a week or once a month or quarter or whatever it is. And what we see on the dashboards is that it's really just a pretty version of the reports you've always done. It's just that now they're sitting there inside of a pretty dashboard and you can, you know, maybe the people can access them themselves. So that is kind of a step forward and it is a little bit more reactive. Um, I think on the proactive side is the opportunity, even by the way, if the HR person doesn't have that, you know, Nick, you just, Nick, you described it, that consultative approach, even if they don't know what to do with the information, when somebody says, um, it's easy, so I'll just keep, you know, uh, working on sales, but even if somebody says sales is down, sales are down or attrition is up, even if they don't know what to do when they, they proactively have probed a little bit about what are your biggest business goals right now, at the very least what they can do and the opportunity is to come back and say, if it is to work with a consultant or, you know, to try to figure out, you know, well, do you guys know how much it's costing you or whatever, or to have, you know, uh, the conversation with a consultant or even to go, by the way, we have a number of people that are going to their core marketing analytics team and saying, like you said, Mick, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people there and, you know, they really are, have a lot of staff. What we're seeing is that some of the HR functions or other groups inside the organization are going to the marketing analytics people saying, can you help us with this? Which makes a lot of sense because that's where, like you said, the golden, kind of the, the golden group, if you will. So I think the proactive thing, even if HR doesn't know what to do with that after the first question, I think it's just fine to ask the question, are you guys suffering on a performance or an attrition? That's really all they need to ask is, is those two pieces. And if you find something, then see if there's a way they can find someone to help them out. They don't need to be the ones necessarily to do the helping out. 
Thank you, Greta. Good points. I want to, let's see, we're going to take a break in about seven minutes. I want to bring another aspect into this conversation uh, between Mick Collins and Greta Roberts on stopping with the vanity metrics already. Measure what matters. And we're certainly getting to the core of what does matter and what should be measured. Mick, I'm looking at your notes here. Interesting about where the data should be shared. We talked about vanity metrics should stay between you and your boss. Business KPIs or business KPIs affect the bottom line, we hope. Now, let me read this note and and maybe you can take us deeper into this. Mick says, workforce data should be more frequently shared as part of public companies' management reports. Without it, investors are hampered in their ability to judge the quality of talent currently in the organization. This sounds like a very powerful mantra. Mick, when is a company ready to share its workforce data and how do they know when they're looking at data that's going to make a difference to investors rather than pretty dashboards and old reports? What's your thought? Well, I think in terms of the first part of this about how organizations share data, we, we first talked about workforce analytics as data that's available to line of business managers or the C-suite or the board of directors. But beyond those internal constituencies, there's a great argument for being able to share workforce data outside of the four walls of the organization. So, for example, when I look at organizations' career sites, look to see do they have data on their, on their career sites to talk about their commitment to development or training or retention or engagement. I mean, a lot of firms have that as part of their talent management mission statement, but it's not necessarily backed up with data, at least data that's publicly shared. So where else can we share that kind of data rather than just keeping it within the four walls? Are there groups outside of the organization who would value from that kind of data, whether it's a a potential recruit, for example, somebody who's part of a affinity network, a diversity group that that organization participates in? So I like to think more broadly about where the data can flow, keeping in mind, of course, data privacy, uh, which is a huge aspect with workforce data. But how does the data flow from inside the organization to outside the organization? And one of the areas of interest I have, and I get there's lots of people that are talking about this today, but it's about the extent to which workforce analytics data should be included as part of management reports that go to the SEC and other organizations like that around the world so the investors can better understand the, the uh, intangible capital this organization has and how they can better quantify the value of that kind of capital. And, uh, and this movement to push out data into management reports, not necessarily something new. I think the UK started this conversation uh, about 15 years ago with a task force called Accounting for People. And they made recommendations mm-hmm. that there should be a standard set of metrics included as part of those public reports. Uh, ultimately, the task force was disbanded. The fear was that this would become too onerous and too time-consuming too bureaucratic for organizations to be able to publish this kind of metric. But I know there's other people that are talking about this now. I think it's a very interesting debate about whether we should have standard sets of metrics coming into uh, public company reports. And uh, we did a survey at uh, at our user conference a couple of weeks ago, and there was a, a small majority of the participants who said, yes, we believe that there should be standard workforce metrics available as part of management reports going to the analyst community. So I'm very much in favor of that. I think it's hard. But that's, again, why we're talking about vanity metrics. Not everything that's easy to count should be counted. This is something I think that's maybe more difficult but more valuable Mm -hmm. in the long run. Greta Roberts, I know you have thoughts on this. What's your POV? 
Yes, um, Mick, I completely agree with you. Um, and I actually, since everything that we work on is predictive analytics, um, we are able to quantify and take those intangible, you know, the capital, which is, you know, your business runs on people. Um, and so to not have it a way to quantify the value associated with that or to be able to say, you know, I'm looking at this certain, you know, team or, you know, job category or whatever it is, and based on the predictive modeling that I've done, we have X confidence that they're going to be able to perform and deliver, um, you know, this year versus, you know, 35% confidence versus 65% confidence, and the models are proven and things like that. That is data that shareholders would want to know. And when they're investing, you know, in an organization, and you know what, this is a movement, it, it is going to happen. I mean, it, it's in the process of happening. It's happening on the marketing side, the voter side, every, every other human behavior side, and delivering extraordinary ROI. And so, you know, we need to remember, and I think businesses and truthfully employees have forgotten a long while that, you know, the reason businesses are in business is to stay in business. And so we are an asset to that organization that can be quantified. And so, um, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, even things like how well do I, you know, you mentioned the career site, let's say, Mick, but, you know, I could, you know, would it be interesting to be able to say if I were applying to that job, um, you know, how close a match am I to the top performers at, in this particular role that I'm applying for? I think that would be extraordinary to be able to do that because that informs not only the person applying or, you know, or, or as well as the organization. So you're really sort of helped into roles where you're predicted to perform and also you're, um, you know, you're likely to have a much higher engagement. The other thing that I just wanted to bring up, and I don't know if we want to talk about it or not, but we talk about privacy, and I completely mm-hmm. agree that data privacy, pretty much from every source, there needs to be a great deal of privacy. I just think, you know, again, because we spend a lot of time learning from the customer analytics and, you know, in healthcare, there's a lot of analytics, et cetera, et cetera, voters, whatever. Um, you know, the, from a healthcare, you know, the, let's say patients and the like and all that they're doing in predictive analytics. Um, and I try to think about, certainly we wouldn't like anything uh, released about employees, but it feels to me there's such a lot of fear around releasing employee data, which at the end of the day, there's no, you know, cost centers there or credit cards. There's no, I mean, what would you learn? You would learn I've been there a year and how much I made and maybe what my performance review is and my gender and things like that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's, you know, maybe an over, it, it, kind of from an overly scared perspective sometimes in comparison to some of the other data sets that are out there. So I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up. You mentioned it. I agree with it. There needs to be a privacy, but I'm just a little concerned that there's kind of an over, you know, an, an over sort of fear around privacy, even in comparison to some of the other data sets that are out there that are already doing extraordinary things with predictive analytics and analytics in general. Provocative so, topic, right up. Mick. No, no, yeah, you were sure. good. Mick, Mick, you want to respond to that, please? Yeah, you raised a great point there in terms of getting underneath the hood and actually applying some statistical techniques to workforce data. So whether it's discussing probabilities or correlations or, or really being able to explain the, the quality of HR data. In many cases, I think we, we push out the numbers and the senior executive will say, who are these people? And I don't trust this because I get data from elsewhere. Whereas in many cases, we're being asked to, we're being, we're being held to an unfair standard where we have to prove 
beyond a shadow of doubt that if we do these decisions or we invest in these people, we will see with 100% certainty the results that we're describing. Whereas in many cases, if we can just avoid 10 bad hires or 15 bad hires, we won't necessarily mm-hmm. eliminate all bad hires, but we can make a step in the right direction and illustrate what the value is of having a good versus a bad hire. Yep. So a large part of our work, I think, is to better educate leaders around the fact that this data may not always be correct. And certainly workforce planning mm-hmm. data as you move into the future, the data won't be correct. But we have to start to make decisions based on, in many cases, incomplete information. But if we can at least show some net positive results, I think we can make a difference, even if we can't show 100% uh, guarantee or give 100% guarantees that if X, then Y. Causality. Thank you. Now, I I have a question for both of you. We we may skip the break and then we'll just slide into the predictions. My question is, we're talking about this from the insider perspective of HR as part of organizations, but I want to flip this around and get some advice from each of you, please, for people who are applying for jobs with organizations they admire where they feel they have a place. Vanity metrics, is that the death of a resume? Greta Roberts, Mick Collins. If somebody says, I was, I, I showed up for three years solid without taking a vacation day, and I created 14 white papers, and I talked to 959 customers, are those analytical, analyzable, actionable insights that would show their value to their current employer? Or should they be saying things like, because I made 959 calls, we became the top, uh, the, the top customer service company in our industry, and I added value to that level of bottom line. Greta, just a quick idea of, of how would you advise a job seeker to not use vanity metrics, but to make them more valuable to a prospective next employer. Thoughts? Sure. Yeah, Bonnie, you said it early on. It's really so what. Um, so if you just have your vanity metrics, but you don't, you know, if you say I made 900 calls, well, like, who cares, right? So what? And you got fired because of it, or they, you kept burning through telephones, or <laughs> you were the number one rep and you helped them get to this next level. You know, you haven't sort of completed the thought, like, so what, and answered that question. So I think there can be vanity metrics, um, but I think just answering the question, so what? And why does it matter to the, either the business that, you know, the business you're contributing to, and how does it matter to the person? that's doing, you know, an interview for you. So I would always, when I look at a metric, say, so what? And make sure that there's no more so what's there that you've already answered that question. Thank you. Mick Collins, a little advice for job seekers regarding vanity metrics. Thoughts? Data is not the story. Data is part of the story. It's how we package this data up, and to Greta's point, how we tell the story of what impact we had on the organization or on our team or on the metrics we're trying to achieve. So anytime I look at a resume on, on LinkedIn or one that's sent to me electronically, there will often be good data. That's a great starting point. It is great to see the individuals thinking about how do you quantify the work you've done, particularly in a knowledge-based environment. But I will agree with Greta and say, then the, the question is, so what, what impact did this have? Even if it's hard to necessarily measure a direct impact on outcomes, large outcomes like sales or productivity, what did it help your team better achieve by virtue of the fact that you accomplished all of these different tasks? So make the data be part of the story, but it's only part of the story. Thank you. I'm smiling here. I'm, I'm thinking, excuse me, but I have a, a very, very far stretch in terms of the, my thought on this. I'm thinking uh, when you watch the, the beauty pageants on TV, uh, 
Mick, I don't know how long you've been around, but we used to watch Miss America once a year. And uh, Greta probably knows about this. And there's always somebody who wins the talent competition and the swimsuit competition and the evening gown competition. And then there's a person who doesn't win anything, but she's voted Miss Congeniality because she made everybody feel like they were really her friend. And you know what? It may not be that measurable and analytic, but it matters. Greta, am I right? There's the so what? Everybody felt they had a friend? Am I right? Right, yeah, right. You don't know how, and you can't put your finger on it, but somehow, yeah, there was uh, a way a way to do that, and they all roll up, and the so what is it, it, it? You know, it ends up contributing to something. But yeah, you're right. Yep. There you go. I know that was a stretcher. Forgive me. Guess what? We've got five minutes left till the end of the show. That's absolutely perfect. We're rolling right in, sliding into home plate with the predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. Greta Roberts, you've done it many, many times. You know, I'm going to give you two minutes on the clock, Greta. If we met again, and I certainly hope you and Mick and I can get together again. But if we met again in the, I would too, the year 2020. Let's just say that's the next time we're going to meet. What will have changed in terms of HR's comprehension, understanding, appreciation? and ability to move away from pure vanity metrics and into actionable insights through business-driven data. That matters to the bottom line. Greta, two minutes, go. Um, I think they'll have their own data scientists that come from the data scientist world and learn the HR business instead of the other way around. Um, learning the business of HR um, is easier than learning the business of data science, and so I think you've got to start from the data science world. That's one prediction. Can I have three? You certainly may. Go ahead. You've got two minutes. Use it whenever you want. All right. The second one is that I think organizations very soon are going to start insisting that pretty dashboard software um, is going to need to go beyond the pretty dashboards and is going to need to move into, so what? What do I do with this data? Um, Mm -hmm. This is really great, but, you know, help me to get to the next level. Um, part of the next level is predictive. And so that's the thing that, you know, I would say is already going uh, very fast is it's, you know, it's, it's rampant on the customer side and all the other sort of predicting human behavior side. It's already creeping into, and we're seeing this in our business since that's all that we do. Um, and I agree with Mick, a little predictive goes a long way. And so it's not a hundred percent, but if you can do it, um, you know, with a greater probability than what's happening today and a greater probability than chance, we like to say um, a little prediction goes a long way to making huge ROI. So, I would say data scientists and HR, um, you've got to move beyond those pretty dashboards to actually take it to, you know, so what, and helping me with that, and um, predictive is here. There's just too much ROI associated with predictive. Um, Thank you, Greta. Great. Mick, two minutes on the clock. Predictions, go. I think that if HR does not become proactive for workforce analytics, the competence will be taken away from them. I think it may go to a Mm. central competitive intelligence group or business intelligence group, uh, which will have less of the HR expertise, more of just the business perspective first. So I think hopefully in the next four to five years, we'll see HR say, yes, this is something that we should own. We have the vision for it. It is something that we want to execute upon. Uh, And then we get beyond talking about analytics being the future and it just being something that is part and parcel of how we do business today, the same way that we look at supply chain management or marketing or sales. Workforce analytics should just be another business process that hopefully should be owned by HR, but if not, it will be owned by somebody else. Uh, I think secondly, we'll see more commonly accepted models for linking workforce and business data. And I go back to 
the Sears employee customer profit chain model from about 15 years ago, where they looked at their employee data, they linked it to their customer loyalty data, and then ultimately to profitability. I think we'll see many more of those kinds of models, those causal chains, be part mm-hmm. and parcel of what we deliver to managers today versus necessarily having to ask them the questions or provide ad hoc analytics. I think that'll just be a standard set of models uh, that are available to, to managers to be able, to be able to take advantage of. So I'm very bullish on the future, but this is a huge opportunity for HR really to change the game and own this process and not have it taken away from them. Wonderful. Thank you, Mick Collins. Okay, let's time for let's see what's coming up this week. It's Monday HR Trends. We're just finishing this Monday's episode. Wednesday I'll be back on Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday afternoon, we're going to visit with the Internet of Things with Game Changers this week on Thursday. Let's see, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern. And Thursday, I'm getting ahead of myself. 10 a.m. Eastern, we'll be back with another edition of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Great theme shows. Hope you'll join us on all of those. And we're all on the business channel on Voice America World Talk Radio. So there, Greta Roberts, Talent Analytics. Can't thank you enough, Greta. You really, you were there for me. I was there for you, Mick from Mick, Mick Collins from Success Factors. Great to have a two-person panel. Really knew their stuff. A wonderful conversation. I hope you both have a good time. Had a good time. Shout out to Jennifer McAdams at SAP for sponsoring the series. Stephen Thorne, Sylvia Lennon for great support. Uh, Michael and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air. And thank you to our extraordinary tweeters today. We had Pasha Roberts. We had probably Mike Kennedy at the handle of Talent Analytics. We had Sylv Says at Sylvia Lennon and Stephen Thorne at S. Thorne. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's our call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you on Wednesday morning for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.